Hello everyone and welcome to today's a very special podcast uh, from, from the Twinkle Training Teachers team. Uh, the title of today's podcast is What Makes a Job Application Stand Out? Now it's a special podcast today because we've got a special guest with us. We've got a colleague of ours, um, Oliver, who is a former head teacher. He'll tell you more about himself and introduce himself shortly. But he's agreed to join us here today to talk all about how to make your job application stand out to give you the best chance of securing that interview. So welcome, Oliver. Hi. Hi. It's really good to be here with you, Adam. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to talking job applications. Great stuff. Well, uh, also alongside us, we've got the rest of the training teachers team here. We've got Simeon, if you'd like to say hello. Hello. Come visit our Twitter. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Always a good bit of plugging into social media accounts, Simeon. I like it. And we can say hello to Hannah as well. Hi, everyone. Excellent stuff. So what we'll do, Oliver, is we'll, we've got a few questions lined up for you. We'll yeah. go through them in turn and we're just very much welcoming any advice you've got, any experience you've had of this and just any top tips you might have for the trainees out there, really. So yeah. um, I think I'll hand you over to Simeon to go for the uh, first question, if you want to go ahead, Simeon. That's fine. Oh, yes, please. Um, so, Oliver, what was it like advertising for a teaching role from a head teacher's perspective? From a head teacher's perspective, it's sometimes a little bit nerve wracking because you're not really sure what you're going to get. And very often getting the right person is absolutely key for your school. So there's a little bit of a pressure there to try and make sure that you you attract the right candidates and you get the very, very best person for the job. It's also quite exciting as well because you, you, you know, in showing candidates around the school or in, in meeting candidates online or whatever you're doing, you're sort of almost spotting people who could fit in with your staff team and could make a real difference in your school. So it's a bit of a combination, really, a, a bit of sort of trepidation and excitement at the same time. How many applications, Oliver, would you say that you might typically receive from a, from a teaching position? Because, I mean, trainees are obviously often told that it's very competitive, but just could you put a number yeah. on it? It is very competitive. For a standard teaching job, the number that you the number that I always had in my my mind was ninety. So you know you'd feel like if you didn't quite hit that, you'd maybe not got the sort of quality of pool that you wanted. If you went much over that, it became quite an onerous task just to shortlist from. Um, and obviously, if it was a more specialist role, if it was more of a senior leadership position, you end up your numbers come down quite significantly. But for a standard teaching job, ninety was was a roundabout ballpark for it. So, yeah, it yeah. is very competitive. That's a lot, isn't it, really? I mean, so obviously it's really important for trainees to tailor their applications for the particular job, isn't it? Yes, very much so. You were almost looking for, has this person really thought about the school that they're applying for? Have they actually found out a little bit about it? Do they know a little bit about what you're about <laughs> as a school? Um, and made sure it was sort of personalised for that. So definitely do your homework. Yes, very much so. Yeah. I think also you've got to make sure you're making a good first impression, be that uh, if you're going to have a, a visit around the school, I guess, or mm -hmm. even just with your application, it needs to make a good first impression for yourself having, been, having to be the person reading it, especially if you've got uh, another 89 uh, applications to go through, absolutely. Yeah, you're almost building up a picture as a head as, of the person, you know, whatever interactions they have with the school, um, it tells you a little bit about them. So it's not just what you've seen of them. It might be what your office staff have, have seen or picked up over the phone or by email. It might be, yeah. you know, as you, if you're doing a tour or if it's a, a virtual event or something, other people there will be spotting things about the candidates and, and just noting those. Um, so, yeah, making that first impression is, is really important. 
but also with your statement because that's the sort of key bit that you're looking at with the application you almost need to make that first impression within that first paragraph or two to make somebody carry on reading with interest rather than just sort of scanning through and thinking oh it's just an average candidate this so oliver if you've got 90 candidates how do you go about creating your shortlist and how many roughly would you shortlist um in terms of shortlisting, you're almost aiming to have probably slightly more than you need, because obviously as the job um, application period goes on, there are people who will apply for your job and then get a job somewhere else. So you, you don't want to think, well, I want to interview five, so I'll shortlist five. You almost end up shortlisting sort of six or seven, knowing that one or two might drop out. Um, and to start with, you, you just do a first sift and make sure that, that everyone matched the job spec and had what you were looking for. So there might be some people who've applied and they've not got relevant experience or you know they've not worked in a school similar to yours. So you might get take those out to start with. Um, but then you're looking for for somebody who has got just a little bit extra because almost you know all your candidates are going to have the basics of you know they've planned lessons they've taught lessons that you know they've dealt with parents they've they, they've got their own ideas about dealing with behavior um, and you almost take that as a given and you're looking for somebody who's got that little bit extra that stands out either an enthusiasm they've got that they want to develop or something that they've already done within school that's that's just that little bit different or a little bit special in in some ways i've been reading a lot of personal statements recently and yeah. I, I completely agree with you. Demonstrating that passion and that something extra mm -hmm. is really important. Can you give us a sort of example of how someone might do that on a personal statement? I think some of that is almost having to 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 understand their own thoughts on education and what they want to do. So it's 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 almost like trying to match candidates with schools and certain schools are not going to be right for every candidate and certain candidates are not going to be right for every school. So you, you're almost wanting somebody that's got that little bit extra, but that's thought through how they're going to fit into your school. And it doesn't have to be anything in particular. You know, it might be that some some places are looking for someone with music as a, a real passion and they're going to develop that in their teaching career. It might be that other places are looking for somebody who's really into sport and fitness and um, well-being and, and things like that. Um, so some of it is almost just knowing what you value and knowing what your specialist skills are and being able to sell those rather than trying to tick the box and say, well, you know, everybody wants somebody who's good at maths, so I'll pretend I'm good at maths if you're not. And you, you can come very badly unstuck with that if you get as far as interview and then it becomes apparent that you're not that glowing candidate in that particular area. So it's, it's knowing yourself really and being able to sell what you're passionate about and what you're really good at. Definitely. So once you've interviewed the candidates, Oliver, and say yeah. you were torn between two, what would mm -hmm. be the deciding factors in separating those two and choosing which one that you were going to hire? It can be really, really difficult because very often people will come with, with very different um, specialisms, very different sort of specialist skills and different personalities. And you're almost weighing up throughout the whole procedure um, who's who's going to be the best candidate and you may end up with two or even more than two who are very very good and would fit in well with your school and, and you end up having to make that judgment call sometimes um, and it might be you know their particular strength in teaching in an area it might be their personality it might be a particular interest they have it might be somebody who's just fitted in well on the day 
Um, but it is a really, really difficult decision to make. And very often as a head, it's not a decision you'll make totally on your own. You've got your, your panel that are interviewing, you've got other people who are maybe observing teaching tasks with you, and you build up a picture of those candidates. Um, and then at the end of the day, you end up just having to go with which one you think is going to be the best fit for your school. So it is all about the fit of the school, isn't it? Not one candidate yeah. will be perfect for every single school. So it's really important no. that you find schools that that you like and you feel like you'd be able to work well in. Yeah. And also being honest about your own strengths and your own areas for development, because if you're taking on somebody who's just qualified as a teacher, they're not going to be absolutely amazing at all aspects of teaching and planning and behaviour management and everything else. And sometimes as a head, you're actually looking for those people who are just a little bit more self-aware and really honest about their areas for development and know what they're good at, know their strengths, but also know where they're going to need to ask for a bit of extra help or where they're going to need a little bit of a nudge in the right direction. Um, and sometimes that sort of self-knowledge is actually more important because those are the people who can make better teachers in the long run rather than thinking they can do everything amazing straight away. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that'll be quite good for the trainees to hear as well because I know it can be really mm -hmm. disheartening when you don't get a position first time round. But yeah, I know people are always saying it is true, isn't it? Once you find the school that's perfect for you, chances yeah. are you will get the job because it'll be that perfect fit. Yes. And sometimes it's just about sort of framing the experience that you've had. So it might be talking about an experience you've had on, on teaching practice or in college or whatever um, that didn't go absolutely perfectly. But looking at what you've learned from that and what you're going to do next time, that's going to be even better. So, you know, sometimes it, it, you, you don't always want every application to be totally glowing in every area. You want somebody who's learned something and who's possibly going to develop even further in the long run. There's a lot to be said that's the same for most teachers in general. No teacher's always the finished article. You're uh, always looking to develop professionally and yes. trainees need to have that mentality as well. You're not supposed to be coming in and out of your teacher training years and going into your ECT induction, the finished article by it anyway, uh, shape yeah. or form. You're going to looking to continue that professional journey that you're going on and mm -hmm. the school that you're looking for are going to want to help facilitate that for you. So you've been able to acknowledge what, you, what you're good at and also for you to acknowledge what you need to help develop, uh, help to develop in. It's going to be quite refreshing, I imagine, to read. Yeah, it's good. And it, it just it almost sets the context then for, for your teaching career if you're having a focus on what you're going to develop next. And as a head teacher, having somebody who's got that thirst for, for developing and moving on even further is, is a real asset in candidates. It, it, it doesn't have to be that you're the finished article straight away. So would you say, Oliver, obviously a lot of the stuff we're talking about now so would sort of coming within the personal statement, it sounds to me, and I think I'm in agreement already, how important do you think a personal statement is? Oh, it's massively important. And it tended to be the thing that you would spend most time on in the shortlisting because <laughs> you almost, you assume that, you know, with a very quick scan, you can check that people have, have got the right GCSEs. They, you know, they've, they've got the school's experience and it's almost, you've got that tick list of things that everybody who's taken on a training position needs to have. Um, and most, if not all of your candidates are going to have those things. So you're just scanning the form and going, yes, they've got the C and GCSE maths. The, yes, they've got the C and GCSE English. Yes, they passed the computing. They've, they've done all the bits and pieces they need to do. But the personal statement is the bit where you actually, the candidates come alive and you can sort of get a feel for what that person is going to be like in your school um, and how they're going to get on with, with children, with parents, with the rest of the staff and, and how they're going to become part of your team. 
I have to say, I'm yeah, not envious of anyone in that position having to whittle down all these personal statements. Uh, Hannah, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, no, I just thought that led on quite nicely to the next question, really. Obviously, mm. it's really important to tailor the personal statement, not only to the yourself, but to the specific school as well. So how would a trainee know when they've found the right school to apply for? And I think some of it is almost, it's not finding the perfect school. It's finding a school that's going to be a fairly good fit. Um, and it, it's it's probably a mistake to be to be going scouting around trying to find the absolute perfect job. You've got to be applying for ones that are going to be a reasonable fit for you, and the school's going to be a reasonable fit with your values and your ethos and your outlook on education. Um, but it's just doing your homework, and it's it's talking to people, it's looking at their website, it's going and visiting if you can, or arranging a virtual visit if that's possible. Um, and it, it's almost sort of weighing up all that evidence that you can amass about a school and it gives you a begins to give you a picture of what it's going to be like. Um, you need to be a little bit careful that you don't just pin it all on maybe the Ofsted report, because that may be a few years old or it may be, you know, what the school was like a couple of years ago. Um, and it's quite important that you don't just go on reputation, because, again, that's one of those things that if a school picks up a reputation, it can stick for quite some time. Um, the best way, though, is, is by visiting if you possibly can. And it's it's also a way to make a good, good impression if if you go and you you look as if you're interested in the school, you ask the right questions, you look as if you're going to fit in. Almost at the end of that visit, somebody will be jotting the name down going, well, that person looks OK. Let's look for their application when it comes in. So given that we've said how important personal statements are, what would you say would be the ideal length for a personal statement, Oliver? And do you have any advice on structuring a personal statement? Right. I always used to say two sides of A4 maximum, because uh, anything longer than that, and you're either talking in greater depth than you need to, or it's just too long-winded to go through. And very often at the shortlisting stage, you'll be reading the first two or three paragraphs, maybe in detail, and then scanning the rest because you get an impression from somebody whether they're going to be either definitely worth interviewing or definitely not worth interviewing or a sort of maybe from that first couple of paragraphs. And you almost need to break down what you do in school into chunks. So you might have your first paragraph that would be just your brief introduction you know, why you want to be a teacher and why you want to apply for this job in this school and make it really clear that it is this school rather than any other school, even if that means that you've got to do a bit of homework and you've got to tailor that for, for, for the particular application you're doing and then break it down into what you do as a teacher. So, you know, you may have your paragraph on this is how I plan. You may have a paragraph on this is what my classroom looks like and this is what my lessons feel like. You may have a paragraph on managing behaviour or dealing with parents. You want something that's extra as well, that's like over and above, um, because all the candidates are going to, you know, they're all going to be saying what they, how they plan the lessons, how they deliver the lessons, what the classroom looks like. And that sort of extra bit at the end almost where you, you can talk about extracurricular activities and, you know, sort of specialist knowledge that you've got or anything that you're going to add that's over and above your normal candidate is going to be be really useful but just break it down into chunks and then make it relatively short for each chunk so you've just got like a, a you know third of a page maybe on this is what the planning looks like this is how i go about it a third of a page on this is what my classroom feels like this is how i organize my children um, and so on that's really good the statements i've most enjoyed reading have kind of given me an idea of what the person would be like once they started in september yes. and yeah. i, I 
I think an additional tip that we talk about a lot is throw in examples. You don't have to do loads and loads, but a few mm -hmm. examples that demonstrate the impact of things you've done can be really Definitely, helpful. definitely. You want to hear about what the, what the candidate's done in school because there'll be quite a few statements that are very bland and very, you know, this is what I think, this is what I believe, this is what I've learned in college. Um, whereas if you if it jumps out off the page at you, you know, this is something I did in school and this is what I learned from it, or this is what went really well in school, um, it just makes it more real and it makes that person more real and you're trying to get a feel for what that whole person is going to be like to, to work with and to develop and to, to have an impact in your school. But be realistic as well. You know, there's there's no point saying I've, I've taken the whole class assemblies every day of the week or something because it's just going to look as if you're exaggerating. You'd soon get caught out, wouldn't you, if you were yes. making things up on your yeah. on your application. I know we've yeah. already touched on this slightly, Oliver. I was just wondering if you had any more advice that you could give to the trainees about tailoring their statements to a specific school. I think, again, it, it comes down to doing your homework and knowing what the school's like, knowing a little bit about what it is, what their particular focus is at the moment, even if it's <laughs> just having been on the website, look at their school improvement plan or the development plan that might be on there and look at the values for the school and then just try and sort of weave that in slightly into what you're talking about in your application. And also just think about the size of the school as well. You know, if you've worked in a small school and you're applying for a small school, you can match that in and, and match your experience with it. If it's something that's very different to what you've had teaching practices in, try and find parallels. You know, if it's a school that's trying to develop reading, you could sort of weave in the fact that where you've been on placement reading's been a real priority and this is what you've seen and this is what you've learned from it definitely i suppose the more homework you do mm -hmm. the more you've got to talk about having you about how you fit yes. into the school and how you think that you would work well there yes definitely okay so um this is an interesting question are there mm -hmm. any red flags you looked out for in applications anything that would just make you go oh no <clears throat> i think that the, the difficult ones were if there were any unexplained things on the application if that makes any sense any sort of gaps or any changes of direction that weren't addressed in the statement and it's absolutely fine if you know if you've started a degree and you've dropped out of that and decided to train to be a teacher and, and you've you know gone back to university afterwards or if you've moved from a pure english degree to a teaching with english and you know you've, you've swapped or if there's a gap where you, you've been ill for a term and, you know, you spent time away from university or, or whatever, it's absolutely fine if you address that on your statement. But if there was any just glaringly obvious gaps where there was no reason given, that for me would be a, a little bit of a red flag. Um, so it's it's OK with any application to say, look, I started this and then I had to, to change or, you know, I retook this because it didn't work out or I, I thought I was going to be this and I've, I've moved on and this is what I've learned from it. Uh, but it was the people who just tried to sort of plaster over it and not really mention it that would be the big red flags for me. I love what you said there. This is what I learned from it, because yes. anything can be a positive if you learn something from it. Yeah. And very often some of the best candidates that I had were people who hadn't had an absolutely straightforward journey. You know, not everybody goes straight from primary school to secondary school does the GCSEs does their A-levels goes to university comes out the other end as a teacher and it's all plain sailing and they get a job straight away you know there are people who've had life experiences where you know there's been illnesses or family difficulties or moves you know moved house um, started something and dropped out decided to change direction and actually those can be the people if it's explained properly 
that have the the best impact in your school because you know for a lot of children that we're working with it isn't plain sailing and they don't just roll through and get amazing results all the way through and then go on to amazing lives um, and sometimes having that little bit of empathy and that understanding of what it's like for somebody who it isn't plain sailing can make you a really good teacher so yeah it's it's, it's useful to to just put it into context and even if it's just a sentence saying you know there's a gap on my cv here because my mum was ill and I had to not do my levels that year or you know I started this course and it wasn't for me and I realized what I really wanted to do was teaching and this is why and that's the sort of thing that leaps off the page at you and you go actually this person is going to make a really good teacher. I think it's really important to highlight that as well isn't it because I think trainees sometimes think that they have to be perfect and they have to yeah. like you say just had this straight route into teaching but it just adds mm -hmm. to the character doesn't it the life experience and makes yes. it who you are doesn't it yeah and particularly you you want interesting people in your school and yeah. you know there, there are going to be people who make amazing teachers who've gone all the way through and at 22 come out have, with a teaching qualification having done amazing a levels and university courses and, and whatever um, and make brilliant teachers but there's others that you know might be slightly older or have had slightly different paths that are going to be really interesting people to work with and really really good teachers and for you for your school for your your student body you want them to have that breadth of experience from people and not just have everyone who's been perfect all the way through excellent uh well i've got one more question for you then it's a bit of a, a bit of a different one i suppose really but um many of our members have been in touch saying well we need to put our applications in i know we need to email uh, the school mm -hmm. with our application and stuff and they've been asking yeah. us whether they should write a covering letter as part of the email when they send their applications in so mm -hmm. um I just want to see what your thoughts were on this really um i think everything that you do as part of the process you're creating a little trail of first impressions and second impressions and and whatever with whoever you're dealing with so if you imagine somebody in the office is going to have 90 emails with forms and covering statements and everything else they're probably going to want to get a brief email that's polite and professional and pleasant um, and says you know here's my application i'm really looking forward to hearing from you i want to work at your school that's enough if you've got like almost a page worth of this is why i'm applying and stuff that really should be covered in the statement in the application process it's just going to annoy people in the office or it's not going to get read so you're almost it, it's it's sort of creating an impression with everyone that you touch base with in school so again if you you know if you're making phone calls to arrange things if you're coming across as polite and pleasant and professional that'll be a big tick and they'll maybe even just jot your name down and go well, that person was really good on the phone <laughs> maybe we tell the head and, and maybe they'll get an interview um but if you're trying to put too much detail in your your email just saying here's my application then it's probably going to be a bit of a red flag moment where the, somebody in the office goes, this person's just a bit too much or a bit too full on. So no, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's nothing wrong with being keen, but maybe not overly keen would be yeah. the, uh, the main takeaway from that. And uh, I suppose the office staff is one of those collection of people within schools that you very much want to keep on your side 
regardless of what the situation is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. Um, well, thank you ever so much for your time, uh, Oliver, here today. Uh, I think there's been so much useful content throughout this podcast, uh, and there's lots to take away for trainees when they're going to either put submitting their applications or putting their applications together. Uh, yeah. This will be going out across all of our social media platforms, so that'll be if you're following us on Facebook, uh, if you're following us on Twitter, of course, uh, or even on Instagram, on Pinterest, and we've even set up our own Discord server, which we will be sending out more communications about shortly. So I'd just like to say one more time, thank you very much for joining us again today, Oliver. No problem, it's thank been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.